Hello and welcome to Monocle on Culture. I'm Robert Bounds. Today you find us in a lamplit study with a microphone primed and a sheaf of notes laid out in front of us. Besides us is a slightly obscure work of fiction, much foxed and marked with two dozen post-it notes. The book was possibly written in the 1930s by a then-renowned and fiery female novelist whom, when searched for on YouTube, is found to be in possession of the kind of diction that would make the late Queen Elizabeth II sound like a TikTok influencer. Then we hear a wry introduction from one John Mitchinson, the publisher of Unbound, before a certain Andy Miller, author of The Year of Reading Dangerously, comes in early with a comment making the book in question somehow analogous to a song from With the Beatles by the Beatles. That's right, to the eagle-eared, book-loving, podcast aficionados amongst you, you'll know that this is a loving rip-off of the opening of the backlisted podcast. And it is a very tender lampoon, because Monocle Radio's own and wonderful Meet the Writers aside, Backlisted really is the best literary podcast there is. The format is simple. John, Andy and producer Nikki Birch, plus a guest or two, discuss in the round a book that may have fallen out of fashion, favour or print. 20 minutes in and you'll be shaking your fist at the fickle finger of literary fate. 21 minutes in and you'll have bought the book. A week later you'll have finished it, nourished by the plentiful and highly original notes offered by Backlisted. It's a kind, generous, witty and warm environment to learn about your next favourite read. John Mitchinson and Andy Miller, welcome to episode 634, I should point out, of Monocle on Culture. <laughs> now, oh yes, here we go. And so it begins. Yes. Um, it's wonderful to have Hello. you both on the programme. Backlisted fans will know that uh, you like to pick apart a blurb on your program, so John, what did you what did you think of your blurb? <laughs> I thought it was excessively generous. It's very funny the thing that you mentioned about about the mid century female novelist, because as we'll discuss, I'm sure that was not necessarily the the route we thought we would go down at all. It's just where we found ourselves. So yes, no, I should point out to our listeners as well that there is huge array of of types of books and eras of books and. And the genders of novelists that, that you cover. Yeah. I liked your blurb, Robert. I would just give you a note or two, Please. which is to say you have inadvertently laid waste to uh, the format of the podcast backlisted. Because <laughs> we have a rule that as soon as the listeners start making the jokes back at you, you have to ditch the jokes. Oh, no. So, <laughs> so they, yeah. that's just, I know more Beatles comparisons with me. No, well it's, the show now. it is a tender, yeah. it is a tender lampoon, Andy. And it's, it was lovely. It was very generous. It's like your Glastonbury crowd clinging singing the choruses back to you think of it that way ah, how nice. <laughs> so on that note then as, as i say you've just your 200th episode which was an absolute triumph it's a wonderful program and always looking to the future rather than the past even after 200 episodes which is amazing but i want to go back to the beginning you're obviously friends you're both literary pros you've worked in book selling and you've worked in publishing and all around the fringes in and of publishing but that's very different to to putting a microphone on a table and deciding to hit record one day back in 2015, I think. So, John, tell us a bit about the how you decided to, to get it going. Briefly, and I, I should say, Andy and I, although we knew each other and liked each other, we'd never actually worked in an office together. Andy worked, we both Waterstones people, but 
never adjacent to Jason. John, John, I'm, I'm interrupting John immediately. John always <laughs> likes to make this point that we weren't friends, and, and I, I can't help thinking we perhaps we still aren't. That's what he's trying to get. That's what he's trying to get to. But John, well, carry on, please. I interrupted, please, dear colleague. Uh, I, I would say what, what we have is goes beyond friendship, Andy. That's for another time. Um, I had lunch with a friend who said, "You know, why is there no John Peel for books? Why do, why is there nowhere I can go to really find it?" I thought, well, there are lots of places where you can go for recommendations. But the thing that's always been a stone in, in my shoe, which is that so much of the energy in the industry goes towards talking about the books that are new and speaking as, you know, a publisher and a writer. I mean, I understand why that's the case. So, and then I happened to find myself in Port Elliot and Andy had, had just done uh, his very, very amusing show, Read Yourself Fitter, which I have to say at that point, I hadn't seen and I hadn't read the ra- year of Reading Dangerous. <laughs> a, a, aware. One might say a friend might have done both. <laughs> <laughs> but All right, I can see where this is going. Anyway, I bumped into Andy. I just had it suddenly said, you know, I've been thinking about maybe doing a podcast. I, somebody had su- suggested this newfangled idea of maybe. And then we said, yeah, that, maybe that would be a good idea. We sort of, you know, we, we just talk about books that aren't new. That was as, it was as simple as that, and we agreed to meet and have a, a lunch to discuss it. In true publishing style, we sprang into action and arranged a series of lunches. <laughs> <laughs> well, we made lots of lists of books we'd like to cover, and we thought we'd have it made. Anyway, Andy can take up the baton from there. What I remember is, I can remember us talking about the idea of doing not necessarily obscure books, but books from the backlist, which were never the obvious choices. The first episode we ever did was about a wonderful novel by J.L. Carr called A Month in the Country. But we also said, well, you know, it would be great if we could cover someone like William Golding. But the thing is, you could do any William Golding novel except Lord of the Flies. So as long as there was under-discussed, we could find some, some space to work with it. And, you know, we also... In a burst of hubris, thought to ourselves, well, how much work? This won't be that much we've work. We've read loads. This, we've read so much. As you said, Rob, we're pros. I'm sure we, we chinked glasses to one another and said, they're, they're, they can, well, take, we'll take everything they throw at us. Well, of course, that was hubris because, as it turned out, anyone listening to this, I don't wish to burst your balloons, but even if you consider yourself well-read, you may not be as well-read as you think you are. That's one of the lessons we've learned from um, Backlisted over the last few years. And in terms of making the show, you're quite right, Robert. You said earlier, it's, it's one thing to think about doing something and another thing to do it and ensure that it works. We've been extremely fortunate because, like all great bands, bands such as the Beatles, there's some, <laughs> there's some combination of personalities that just clicks. Mm. And we recorded a pilot episode, which if you go back and listen to it now, because it's we put it was so good, we put it out as the first episode of Batlisted, which was not what we were planning to do. It was a trial run, but it just worked. It, it just worked from the start. So I think we both realised we've been very lucky. And then everything we've done since then is building on that chemistry that I, I think that we do have and would not have if we were friends. Our, our producer, Matt Hall, had worked with yeah. uh, Mark Ellen and David Hepworth for their Word in Your Ear podcast, which was a kind of, again, another loose inspiration. And he said after the first one, this is, this is great, this, this can go out. So we were, well, I think yeah. we, were, we were both pleased and not surprised because we'd enjoyed making it so much. 
but I didn't want to labour that point of a particular era of the novel and novelist and all the rest of it as I did in the intro. But there's something wonderful just about about your your you know your tagline is 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 giving new life to old books. That's part and parcel of backlisted's kind of you know DNA, I suppose. But also, it kind of keeps you out of the very worn path of having to fall out with someone on social media about the news, A.D. Smith or Paul Auster or whatever it might be. There's something lovely about being able to point people in the direction of something that they can, if something uh, that might be gathering dust or might not even be in print anymore. Because you brought things back from the dead, I think, as well, haven't you? On back this. Well, the thing is, Robert, as publishing pros, we we were both were aware that dead authors are much easier to deal with than living ones. Um, <laughs> And it, we were less likely to, to drift into trouble, though that's, we, we have occasionally managed it. I think I would say one of the things that really we discover quite early on is many of our guests are, though not all, but many of them are writers. Writers are, of course, enthusiasts for reading. That's how they got into writing in the first place. And if you ask them to talk about books they like reading rather than, you know, shilling their latest collection of short stories or what have you, you unlock that original enthusiasm, that motivating enthusiasm. And John and I, as you say, we've done various things in in books. John is a publisher, I'm a writer, but it all comes down to reading. It all comes down to books. Everything that we do, everything the guests do is motivated by that love of the act of reading. Not necessarily being gripped by a book, that's not what I mean, but the actual process of holding the thing in your hands and seeking your way into it and round it and through it. John, what do you um, think? I completely think that. I also think that the early on, we figured out that if we asked the guests, I mean, Andy says there is this extraordinary thing. You, you've interviewed lots of writers, Robin. You know what it's like. They, they, they can, can be a little difficult if you're talking about a book that they've just written. Either they can't remember because it was actually they wrote it two years ago. Well, it's difficult they, to get into your groove you haven't quite, maybe it's the first or second interview you've done for that thing and it's, you're not into a groove with it. Yeah, if I knew why I'd written this book, I wouldn't have written it. Whereas if you get them talking about a book that they love and that they've that has influenced them, suddenly the energy changes and you get this, as Andy said, you get this incredible warmth and kind of insight that I think is when Pop Backlist is good, it's, that's where it comes from. And I, I do think that it also it means that it wasn't just Andy and I kind of, recycling the things we I mean we love it when a guest chooses a book and we sometimes have we have to we had to wait for quite a long time for some of the books we would have liked to talk about there are still books that we haven't that we've had on our original list that we thought would be good which people haven't chosen so there is much chagrin on the faces of my two guests in in that regard (laughs) or some chagrin in talking about that enthusiasm Andy that you picked up on for your guests being writers often and yeah reawakening sort of a childlike love of reading and interpreting their love of, of a certain book I hear you two learning on the job and I think that's that's lovely for an audience to hear not that you don't know what you're talking about and after 60 minutes you do, but I think there is, I can see you, your appreciation of a book blossoming during the, a conversation with, with a really good guest or two. And I wondered in terms of the production and the preparation for the programme, how much you how much you kind of keep your powder dry and go live and your conversation is live rather than practising roots into books and discussions because I, I, it sounds very fresh and enthusiastic. It is. Because we don't, this is a weird thing to say, Robert, we do prepare a lot, but I try not to work off many notes, and I know John is the same, 
because what you want what you're actually hoping to happen is make a real thing happen in the room because if you then record that it will communicate itself to listeners um john and i have both done a number of literary live literary events over the years and that's the lesson we both took away from that. What you want is a real conversation. You can prepare for the real conversation. You can do the reading and uh, jot down the odd thing. But fundamentally, I mean, I always enjoy a show where, f- for instance, I'm look, I'll look to John instantly. John, you can come back on this. You can say if you feel the same way in reverse. But I always enjoy a show where I can see Mitchinson almost physically sit upright in his chair almost physically <laughs> because something 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 that somebody has said has sparked his interest and his thought process and he loves ideas that he can crunch right he can really chew and think about and then that's what comes over in the show so i think we're both quite good for two people who talk so much you've also got to be very good at listening you've got to hear where 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 something is happening and i think we've got better at that i think i listened back to some of the earlier shows and i think we definitely but one thing i mean i think you're the same andy is we often don't read the book until quite close to the recording i mean you know not always but i i think there is that danger that if you there is something about reading a book and having having the freshness of the response that that makes it work because we're not really offering what I would call sort of structured literary criticism here. We're not we're not producing podcasts for GCSE students. We're trying to have a conversation that everybody around the table enjoys. And, and I think it's the same thing. When I see Andy get, get hold of an idea and run with it, I, mean, I have no idea whether he's carried into the room or it's, it's just sprung out of the out of the discussion. And that's part of why we don't try and overstructure you know, and say, I'm going to ask you this, 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 and this. And even when we're, when we're briefing the guests, you know, we keep it pretty loose. You know, academic ways of talking about books, TLS and universities and whatever, that's really prog rock. We're not prog rock. We're free jazz. We're screeching thanks, and unlistenable Thanks for nothing, times, Andy. Or, the same time. Or Coleman, that's us. <laughs> or Coleman. Or yeah, punk yeah. rock, I don't yeah. know. But the point is you mm. keep it fresh by being excited about being there. The best episodes, in fact, Robert, you were a guest on one of our episodes. You were an excellent guest because you were really excited to be there. It's like someone had gone, wow, someone's going to let me talk about a book I love. Wow, let's go. How, what, who, who can think of anything more fun, right? So we, we like it when that happens. I loved it. Loved it. Some of the, my favourite of, of your episodes are things actually that you're bringing new life to old books, but also some of the, some of these are super canon. Passage to India, that was an amazing episode where you, you went down lines of inquiry that had never been thought before about one of the most famous books ever written. It was amazing. This is the, the greatness of Foster, you see. It, it's no use writing about empire, you know. It's all very well pulling down statues and everything else, you know, and I mean, getting passionate... But can we not please... Look, what did people think they were doing? It is the business of art to find out this. And if, if, it, if it isn't, we shouldn't bother. We really shouldn't bother. What did they think they were doing? Did they think they were right? Or were they in some ways right? I don't know. It's not my business to, to kind of <clears throat> pass judgment on this. But through people, like geniuses like Foster, as you say, quite eloquently, is nuanced. I think that's why it lays a claim to be one of the great novels. 
Who thinks they will go from this place to read a passage <laughs> to India again? Everybody. Good. Pleased to um, hear it. And something that is very cherishable, and I listened back to today before we came on to, to do this programme, Stephen Sondheim episode, which was just majestic piece of we, radio. We, we, not, we, of course, we don't have favourite episodes, but for what it's worth, that is my favourite episode. Is it really? Other than other than other than the Ballard ones, Robert. <laughs> other than the JG Ballard. Yeah, it was it was, <laughs> it was joyous. <laughs> yeah, trust me to come on the, the book that neither of you liked very much. No, but no, we got, no, we got somewhere true. with it. We got somewhere with it. Wow. No, there was much about that book I liked. Um, we had some fun at Ballard's expense. He was, but a, he droll, was, he was, he was a droll yeah. old chap. Also, you know, that <laughs> that podcast turned me on. I mean, you heard me in real time fall under the spell of Sondheim and the, the combination of Andy and, and David. And Jason It was a good team. And Jason. It was just, it was an amazing, it was an amazing experience. And I've I've never looked back. This is the book that I want every great creative artist to produce. It's, here's my work. Here's where my work came from. Here are the theoretical principles that I tried to base it on. Here's what I think works. And by the way, here's here's an earlier version, which I kind of prefer, but we didn't put into the... It's like, if you are interested in Sondheim, I, mean, I can imagine, you know, you just want to... I, I mean, as I did yesterday, sat with the book open, watching, you know, Sunday in the Park with George, because I, I wanted to watch the show, mm. but I also wanted to try and feel what it was like for Sondheim to be still thinking. He's still cares about each moment each word each line of every as a kind of a 900 page record of 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 somebody's deep commitment to their to their art and craft i don't think there's i i don't i can't think of a book that's like it i really can't i think one of the great lessons of backlisted john is whatever you think you know about a book there is no substitute for actually reading it you know, we, the, we, the, it can be right at the heart of the canon. But if you haven't read Middlemarch, as I always come to Middlemarch, if you haven't read Middlemarch, you haven't read Middlemarch. You can know stuff about it. You can, you can know Moby Dick is about a whale and the first line is call me Ishmael. But if you, don't, if you haven't actually read Moby Dick, you will have no concept of the infinite weirdness of that particular novel. Let me ask you about the reading, because I think people would be fascinated to hear about your reading kind of routines, but also about how you read with a view to talking to asking each other and your guests about it and presenting a podcast about it, as opposed to reading for pleasure, as opposed to, to reading from information. These are all different, different things. John, what's your, what's your kind of kickoff for that? Because, as I say, there's learning on the job and giving listeners an insight into that and hearing your alacrity as you kind of latch onto ideas, new ideas about books and things like that. But that comes, that starts with all the reading. I mean, you know, we both read a tremendous amount and I have to read for my job, um, not always as profitably. I mean, the, I'm, I mean, I've usually got backlisted books on the go. I've said this before, I, if I wake up in the night, I get a lot of reading done in the in the the cold, dark hours of the early morning when, you know, instead of lying and fretting and worrying about work, I just, I, I'll just pick up a, uh, I usually actually, it's, I mean, it's a ridiculous thing. I, I use my phone on nighttime mode and read a lot of my books on Kindle. I often buy, I prefer if I'm, if I'm, I'm awake, I will, I love a physical book. So I often have, but I think you just get into the rhythm of reading every day. I mean, I, it's inconceivable to me that I wouldn't have at least three things that I'm probably reading 
I mean, I, I don't have a massive stack like some people do, but I do have multiple books on the same. And I know Andy's got, he's got clearly worked out strategies as well. <laughs> Andy's well, well and Andy's I mean people will know Andy people have loved the year of reading dangerously there is a lot of train action or there was yeah that's right um is that still the case you know I mean obviously that can be a solace but obviously there's a lot of people watching TikTok without headphones yeah I know the thing is that okay so how do you read so much we're all we're asked this a lot people want you to come up with a sort of shortcut but the thing is, and people don't like to hear this, <laughs> you, you you make the time. You don't do other things in order to spend time reading. And therefore, it helps if you like... This is the point I was trying to make earlier. It helps if you just actually like doing that thing. If you like sitting still and looking at pages, that really helps because you get more done because it's a thing you like doing. Now, what I don't mean is you hang around waiting for something to really motivate you to to turn its pages. That does happen. It happens to all readers. I think the difference is we, and you, and you, I think we do this on the podcast, there are very few truly bad books out there. And most books genuinely do have something interesting or funny or noteworthy to to recommend them and it's a it's a case of kind of training yourself to enjoy those moments when they come even if there are other things in the same book that perhaps don't appeal to you so much and then you don't then you're not in I feel a lot of people spend their time reading in a kind of come on you know they can barely hold the book because their arms are crossed saying come on come on entertain me do come on come on come on it doesn't work like that it's a different it's a different practice it's taken the writer much longer to write the book than it's going to take you to read it, whatever you do. And there's a sort of a respect, I think, that is that you need. Yeah. To, I mean, I don't, I don't want I to agree. get into that. Is it okay to give up a book? You can do whatever you want. But if somebody, if it's a book that is that has a lot of people have said has qualities to it, I think you owe it to the person who's written it to at least get to the end to be able to assess it. And if you if you don't want to get to the end, maybe don't go around talking about it. Is what I would. Advise Andy should do is the, the distinction between literature and literary fiction. Is this is my 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 favourite thing? Oh. You tweeted very. I think you tweeted it last week. I did. Well, okay. So there's a big argument, never-ending argument in the book world about is literary fiction a, a genre like science fiction or crime fiction, or is it a name we give to better writing? And as you can imagine, science fiction authors and crime fiction authors in particular are very, get very exercised and say their stuff, my stuff is as good as literary fiction, right? And I said, well, look, the thing about literary fiction, you want to understand what literary fiction is. It is a category, but you mustn't conflate it with literature. Literature is the name we actually give to art in words, whereas literary fiction is book sellings taste the difference range. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's yes, kind exactly. of off, off the shelf yeah. excellence. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. the brand. That's that is its brand. It's US it's USP, John, from yeah. my marketing day. Well Christmas is coming and it's it's not just fiction. It's literary fiction. Exactly, Robert. <laughs> exactly. So, some some voiceover artist somewhere will be will be yeah. gargling with their lemon and honey as we speak. I mean, I sort of I hope that makes people laugh, but also I hope that takes away. But it's very true. Takes a weight <laughs> off their shoulders. Yeah. Right. So you stop hating. Stop getting hating on it or getting infuriated by it. Just understand that it exists in the marketplace. 
and that literature doesn't. They're two different things. Yeah. And it's right to not misunderstand the fact that this stuff, these books don't weren't designed, depending upon when they were written, and are still not designed to be competing with... They're not competing with anything. They're books. They're things that stand alone. Literature is something that stands alone. They are a form of entertainment that's, that's lasted for hundreds and hundreds of years. It doesn't have to be competing with a football match on the TV or a million other things. John, in your memory and mine, what are a few of the things that have spelt the end of the book, which did not, as it turned out, spell the end of the book? I mean, it goes back to that you can find stuff talking about music hall and then it it goes through to kind of, you know, obviously radio and television. And, and then it was the most laughable one of late was the was the CD-ROM. You remember that was going to render Ooh, us yeah. all... I mean, it is more or less every generation. I, I can't bear a CD unless it's got a ROM on the end. Yeah. yeah. I, <laughs> wait till we start our great CD-ROMs podcast. That's a, that's a niche that's yet D-A-T- to be DATs of our age. <laughs> Books are a sublime piece of technology in their own right. I can't, uh, you know, their death has been announced far too many times for us to take it all that seriously. Oh, here's to that. Um, I wondered and I know this is something that your listeners will will know is that Andy can slightly you know can be not snobbish about but (laughs) can wonder (laughs) why sometimes wonder why there's a quite a lot of plot in this book you know sometimes you might hear Andy say (laughs) um what he's making a face Andy come back to me on that but there's a storytelling that we can be done without think one thing happening after another Ro- yeah. Robert I can give you what I actually think or I can give you Andy Miller's answer <laughs> what would you like I want one one followed by the other the character of Andy Miller would tell you that plot is for babies and be- the best novel with a plot is the very hungry caterpillar and you need to get over that right there is Books do more things than just tell you a story, although telling you a story is a vital element of many books. Nonetheless, what I think is I've read a lot of stories at this point in my reading life. I genuinely, I don't think this is snobby. I think it's honest. I look for other things. I want prose I can enjoy. I want ideas. I want structure. I want... I don't need, look, in the painting, a painting of a horse, we've got past the point where we, where a painting of a horse has to look like a horse, right? We're, we're beyond that. That's what the 20th century was for. It was to help us see beyond that. And I kind of feel with fiction that returning over, stuck in a loop of going over to the same seven stories over and over again. Books are so incredible. They can do so many different things. Why get hung up on just one of the things that they can do? He's turned George Stubbs into Bran Cousy before our eyes. (laughs) There you go. I was going to ask, it was a playful question, but I was going to ask what John's sort of bug book, the, cast, the character of John Mitchinson, presenter of, co-presenter of... Well, the character of John Mitchinson finds the need for relatable characters. Oh, yes. Surely we read yeah. fiction to enter consciousness is that are completely different to ours. That's what imagination is about. I don't want to read, I don't want to read about me. I don't want to read about people particularly who are like me. 
I want to read about people who are capable of things that I can't, couldn't even imagine I would be capable of. And this, this strange intimacy that you have when you're reading, when you're reading great, I think a, a great book is that you're able to enter different worlds. You're able, able to put on different clothes, different historical epoch, a completely different way of thinking and feeling. That's, what, that's why I feel reading makes us stronger, better, more interesting people. You've got to say, people who say they, they relate to a character... It's very of you. Do it's always Patrick the Bateman to whom to whom to whom they no. It isn't, is it? To whom they relate is a nice yeah. person, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Funny that because <laughs> I didn't like I didn't like any of the yeah. characters in this play. Well, you, you know, it's King yeah. Lear. But, yeah, you know, we've come to the end of our. As I said, what minnows we are doing is a simply thirty-minute podcast, John and Andy, and um, thank you so much. Here's to two hundred more. No, no biggie. Surely, I mean, they can pull that out of the hat. Just for our listeners' sake, how many books has doing two hundred episodes of book backlisted, and all the all the all the the prep and all the stuff around it? How off the top of your head, a rough scratch figure? I wonder how for each. Of I, I I actually know because I keep right. a reading diary. So I've read about seventeen hundred books since we started doing this. Which is, and if that isn't punishment for the hubris of thinking I wouldn't need to read much, I don't know what is. Yeah. I mean, John, um, will, and the thing is, I say that John will have read more because he's got a, a proper job. You know, he's got, he has to read for all these other things for, yeah. for publishing and work and business and, you know. It has been an education, it's no doubt. It's changed the way we think, changed the way we read, and it's changed the way we write. I think it's been, it's astonishing, really. And and for this program and for your, you know, for your legions of listeners, I'm sure as well. So John and Andy, congratulations on 200 backlisted. Thank you. Here's to 200 more, um, from one podcaster to two master <laughs> students. <laughs> at last, <laughs> yes, <laughs> at last. <laughs> And that is it for this week. My thanks to Andy Miller and John Mitchinson of Backlisted, which is available in all the regular places you would find a podcast such as this one. Monocle on Culture is produced by Sophie Monaghan-Coombs and Steph Chungu, and Steph also edits the show. We will be back at the same time next week, but until then, from me, Robert Bounds, thanks for tuning in. <laughs>